Today's guest is Andrew Weiss, a freelance creative strategist, and he's going to be telling us all about what that is like here. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very good. How do we know how to say your name? Is it Weiss or Weiss? I mean, you corrected us. You helped me know it's Weiss. No, but... it's Andrew Weiss, and it's it's actually like a quite a common last name in Germany, White, which is kind of why you see like Heffen Weiss, why I'm sorry, like White Beer. And uh, whenever we were growing up and we would get calls from people asking for the Weiss family, that's how we would kind of know if they were telemarketers about and we would just hang up immediately. That's funny. A lot of my family, we've done that whole Ancestry.com thing, is uh, German also. So uh, predominantly, most of what my lineage comes from is Denmark. And like, do you see any blonde hair, blue eyes anywhere on here? Nope, not none, at all. None. <laughs> so it's like 27, 28%. And I'm just going, I, I don't see it. Yeah. No, we haven't done that yet. I don't know if I would do it or not, but it's interesting. And it's good to have those types of answers. <laughs> Oh yeah, it really, it really, really, it took us back 200 years. That's cool. That's cool. And my dad is really big into doing uh, genealogy and he's based it back actually nine generations is what he's done. He's got, you know, all kinds of pictures that people have gone back to take. It's really amazing. Anyway. That's cool. Yeah. So you've worked in multiple marketplaces, ranging from footwear to hospitality to entertainment, basically all around. And you also went to the University of Central Florida, but are now based in New York, as we talked about with uh, all the traffic going on there right now, uh, and always. Um, so what inspired you to put yourself out into all of these fields? Yeah, so when I made the move to New York, um, it was for a career in advertising, and that was in about 2009 when Facebook was just starting to emerge as a platform that people paid attention to. And whether it was internships or jobs and ad agencies uh, where you're typically working across multiple clients and multiple industries at once, uh, just being in that environment, let alone got me exposure to all those fields. Uh, I distinctively remember my internship when we were trying to figure out what is Facebook? What are we doing on Facebook? What, what is even allowed? And that was with various hospitality brands, skincare brands, uh, food brands, and that was at my internship. So right off the bat, you know, working in an agency environment just kind of gave me that exposure. And then over time, I found ones that I liked more or were more skilled at and tried my best to put myself in those positions. But also, wherever I was at that time also sometimes was what I'd be working on just based off what existed. Wow, that's amazing. And where was your internship at? Um, so my internship was at a social media agency in New York City called Likeable Media. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something that got the ball rolling for my entire career. And it was a really enjoyable experience because we were, you know, kind of given the opportunity to figure it out for these brands as they were trying to figure it out for themselves. You know, while we may have so many platforms right now that we can choose on our phone at this time, you know, it was you know, what are we doing on Facebook? Can we build a community? Can we drive conversion? You know, what are we even doing here? And it was really awesome because being able to make those decisions for these types of brands was very empowering. I, I want to kind of back this conversation up a bit. So you graduated from UCF, but did you do your internships, internships before you graduated and then went to New York or you're yeah. ready to do them over the summer? I'm trying to understand that side of it. 
Yeah, so some of the internships I did before I moved to New York were more related to different aspects of stuff that I was interested in. So in high school, I actually did a, a internship at a local news station because I was considering broadcast journalism at UCF because it has a really great school. And uh, very quickly, I realized that that was just not a, not an interest of mine. Uh, you know, I definitely saw the internship through and did everything I can, but there were just a lot of moments where I could clearly tell that there were certain aspects of the industry that were necessary to succeed. And luckily through an internship, I realized that's something I didn't like. And, mm -hmm. and then throughout the rest of my career, sorry, throughout the rest of my tenure as a college student, I had uh, various friends uh, working across small businesses in a very entrepreneurial mindset. And I was brought on to help with marketing and, and data entry and promotions. And while I didn't know it at the time, uh, in hindsight, those were kind of setting me up to think about how I would approach internships when I actually became super focused on a specific type of role, which is advertising, where I was able to at least know what I didn't like, what I did like, and what I wanted out of it. You know, I think that's so true. Um, that's the real value of having an internship. We're not gonna talk just about that, I know for sure. But so many people, they're trying to figure out, navigate the industry, See, okay, am I really going to like this? You touched on the fact that there was parts of the broadcasting industry that you didn't care for. That's interesting. I don't know if it's like it's super cutthroat or or how what your experience was like. You didn't mention any names, so I think we're cool with that. But um, I can elaborate on it really quick. It was a defining moment. It was, um, you know, you have to be really, really driven, outgoing, and calm and situations that are just none of those terms and getting the best story possible at a time of uh, despair or negativity or stress requires composure and putting a mic in front of an individual's face and there's nothing wrong oh, yeah. with it and it just takes a certain level of skill and i have the utmost respect for people in that space because of their ability to balance it create a story compose it and send it off quickly it just wasn't for me and uh there was a moment where there was a, a tornado in Jacksonville and we were at the scene after the tornado and we were going to interview individuals about the, uh, the damage. And I, I just didn't want to do it. And rightfully so, the person I was working with who was awesome was like, well, I got some news for you that if this isn't what you're, if this is something that you're having issues with, then an entire career in broadcast journalism should be something we should talk about. And we ended up having a really healthy conversation about it later. And while I may have looked at it that moment as a concern or something negative in hindsight, like I really appreciate that individual, you know, putting himself out there and saying those types of things. Oh yeah. And that was really good. That was great insight that he shared with you so that you could really see, no, this is because people think that going into any job, forget internships, just going into a job. Yes, I'm going to like this and it's going to be great, but they don't know what the downsides are of that job and broadcasting kind of like hospitality. It seems like it never sleeps. It's always going. You could be at a shift. That's the graveyard shift doing those type of news reports and it it's hard it can be hard on a personal life too i think yeah and i you know i have the utmost respect for people in that field because of their ability to juggle all those things at once on the fly as news comes so you know it's it's definitely awesome to learn that in high school and not 20 years down the line oh yeah i could not agree more 
agree more. So footwear though, you, okay. So how did you end up with that particular industry? Because you tried on a lot of different places to see what you really like. And then you're over here in this side of a strategic consultant, which I find very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing you share more about that one. I mean, so footwear is just an interest of mine. And uh, whether it was, a, you know, as a child wanting the newest pair of shoes, whether I play the sport or not, uh, and then finally realizing when I'm older that it's a billion dollar industry with multiple aspects of operations, business, marketing, sales, retail, and what have you, that as soon as I saw those things were at arm's length in the advertising world, uh, I did whatever I could to get my hands on it. And if I wasn't working on it as a client, or a project, I was creating those types of things on the side so that whenever those opportunities came up, I could show that I was driven and passionate about this field of work. It's just something that interests me. And uh, I, I still am interested into it, interested in it today. And uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just something I like. Yeah, I think it's a, well, it's about the basketball shoes, I suppose, more than anything, or whatever the kicks are that somebody uses, but it is part of fashion. It's not indirectly just sports, it's dress, it's, you know, sports, it's, it's everything that makes up a, a person and it defines who you are a lot of how you dress. I don't know. Ian, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I completely <laughs> agree. Like <laughs> a little off topic, but I just bought my first pair of Nikes today, running shoes. And oh, really? it's, it's a look that I'm going to use for exercising and also fashion. And I agree with that. I mean, being able to purchase your own shoes, whether it's me who did it in a way that was empowering because it was shoes that my dad would let me buy when I was younger. And I was like, well, I'll buy it with my money. Thank you very much. Or if it's just something that is functional or fashion related, um, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but even when I've worked on clients where the focus was on females or on product lines that include shoes and footwear that I would never wear, I still found myself gravitating towards those types of work streams and enjoyed every second of it. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly can't explain it other than the term sneakerheads or, you know, people mm -hmm. who just like shoes for whatever reason. Two things, actually. Uh, do you know The World According to Jeff Goldblum? Did you watch that show? I know of the show and I really like Jeff Goldblum, but I didn't watch any of it. But please, okay. you know, go ahead. Episode one is about the the world of shoes so i think that you would be really interested in that and that's yeah, i mean a lot of my information yeah i like jeff goldblum talking about anything hence the show <laughs> so i definitely will look into that and i i, I appreciate the recommendation oh yeah no problem and then the where is that ian oh it's on, on disney plus okay i have that i did not know that one i'm gonna go look for it i like it. he's funny oh yeah for sure and to segue but also still beyond the topic of footwear. In 2016, you helped design a custom pair of Jordan 8s. So what was that experience like? Yeah, so that was an example of when I wasn't working on footwear as a client. So I had a coworker from a previous job that we just always talked about shoes, always bonded over footwear. He had an impressive lineup of footwear that he would wear to work and I would compliment them and vice versa. And we always talked about these ideas that we had about brands that we wish we worked on and what we would do if we did work on them. And that led us to just like have a relationship of brainstorming where even if we didn't work together anymore and he was an art director at another agency that we still had these types of conversations. And in 2016, uh, Michael Jordan 
uh, gave a speech. Uh, I believe it was a hall. I can't remember exactly what speech it was. And I, I wish I did. It may have been Hall of Fame speech. I'm not 100% sure at the moment, but his face uh, crying was almost like encapsulated in a moment of history and became a viral moment because you saw this godlike sports figure be vulnerable for a second and his it became a meme and i don't know if quite that time if the if the word meme was being used as uh commonly as it was used now and we saw this trend rising very quickly all over the internet it was being used to bring other people down in a very comedic way and we always knew we wanted to do a shoe project together and we looked at the entire line of jordan shoes and saw the jordan 8 had his face on the the tongue there's a, a like a fabric fuzzy like patch uh, on the tongue. And we decided to replace that patch, which was a, you know, the Jordan brand logo with the crying Jordan meme. Uh, we worked with uh, individuals in Chinatown to get the patch created and, you know, sewn on to the tongue, uh, created it as portfolio work because no matter what, if someone was like, oh, if you, are interested in working in footwear. If you don't have footwear experience, what else are you doing to, you know, be interested in that industry? We'd be like, boom, crying Jordan. So no matter what, at its bare minimum, it was a portfolio piece. But then we used our marketing and PR efforts to just send it to various news outlets, media outlets, blogs that we thought would be interested and just sent it to them in an email and crossed our fingers and hope for the best. But again, at the bare minimum, it's why side projects matter. We had work for our portfolio and that was the success point. That, that is awesome. <laughs> like I, I read about that on your LinkedIn and then also doing my research, but to hear that is just amazing. Yeah, and also it was luckily something I could put on my resume. You know, it's <laughs> great to have stuff in your portfolio and if it does well, because it did have some traction on the internet it was also shown on tv like we were proud of it we and i put it on my resume and i uh you know i have like 20 other things that i tried to drum up with my friend sherman and other people that like should never be on anyone's portfolio or on resume so it's good to get one right yeah for sure because it that's the one that like popped out to me i'm like i have to ask this story for this story. so i want to jump into something that you said so this little patch and it went on the tongue of the shoe correct seems like something that would be really, really popular and an accessory to a shoe. And did it, did it really fly? Did you have a lot of people wanting to buy it? Because it seems like oh, that. So was we didn't, it wasn't for sale. And I want to, it was an art piece. And the reason that was important is uh, at the time and still at this time, uh, we are, you know, we are talking about the likeness of one of the most famous sports figures ever. And he embraced it and all he said is as long as people are doing it for art and not for consumer you know not for sale not for profit not mm. for profit thank you that um we were okay so we made a one-of-one one art project and it did very well it, from an awareness point of view there was no money exchanged between anyone and the shoes are hidden uh somewhere uh wherever sherman had put them and um it's still just a one of one and you know, it's not for sale and never will be. And I don't want to, you know, ever, you know, position it as anything other than a side art project. Well, but it's a collector's item. Yeah, absolutely. And it had its fun moment on the internet and it's, you know, something that he and I were very proud of made it onto ESPN even. 
And Holy we cow. look back on it very fondly, but it was just, it, it's kind of how marketing works. You know, if you strike while the iron's hot effectively, you can be part of culture. And it's really exciting as someone who has to work in that field to say that I've been part of it in some capacity. Wow, that is amazing. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed because it sounds like you've had uh, a lot of an entrepreneurial spirit here and with just about everything that you've been taking on. And I was sharing with Ian that there are some things you just can't teach. You know, either people have that like a work ethic, <laughs> you can't just teach that. You know, it's, it, they come in with it, a hunger and a desire to be curious, to learn, to solve problems. And then there's other people that, you know, they need to be led. And there's not one that's probably better than the other, but, you know, it's important to have people that are leaders as well as people that want to follow. But that work ethic, that uh, desire to make something big, it's pretty impressive what you were doing there. I mean, I would say um, it's a product of the industry as well. You know, when you're working in marketing in any capacity, it's always changing and always evolving. Yeah. And, and with social and the internet, it's evolving very, very quickly. And from a professional standpoint, or even from a consumption standpoint, your tastes evolve, your skills evolve, your job roles evolve, and your interests as well kind of intertwine between all of that. So as I said before, it's just something I was interested in. And luckily, I chose a field of work that allowed me to, you know, go deeper into those interests and find that there is a whole industry here. There's a whole footprint of culture on the internet here. And within that are certain things that as long as I continue to explore it or research it, and again, this can be based off anyone else's interests, like footwear is, is a very interchangeable subject here, because I can also have 10 other interests where I've done similar things. But when you work in marketing, especially in the ad agency world, people are just always creating and you almost get to a point where if you're not creating, you can get FOMO. And it's important that that becomes ingrained in your day-to-day -day because you're always being asked upon by brands to create more, evolve more, and you know, drive more business objectives that matter. So true, so true. You've been up in New York for how long now? Um, about, I think almost exactly 10 years. So almost officially like a New Yorker, the unwritten rule is if you're here for 10 years and you weren't born here, you can call yourself one. So uh, definitely love it here. Uh, and definitely plan on being here for a while. <laughs> Are you originally from Florida, Orlando? So I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, go Jaguars, one of the few Jaguar fans in all of New York City. Um, but we stick together and uh, moved here pretty much right after college, but from uh, Atlantic Beach slash Mandarin in Jacksonville, if that means anything. But went to college at UCF uh, two hours away. It was perfect. Felt like I wasn't at home, but it was almost close enough to be home whenever I needed. Yeah, it's it's a big step. I was born in Kansas and I moved to all over the U.S. You know, by the time I was 16, we had moved 21 times. So wow. we were constantly moving. It's a lot. Um, by the time our family moved to Florida, Orlando, nobody wanted to live in the snow anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I actually left. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm a little bit of the opposite. Um, I like embrace seasons and love like I love inclement weather and I think it's cool but at the same time I think that's a glass is half full approach and I don't know if I've been, been a part of like a Kansas summer or Kansas winter because I know New York has a reputation for it but it may not be as bad as other places. Oh no it's all okay it's relevant you know to wherever you are. Um, 
I, I know that Ian, he and I were talking yesterday about the cold. And I realized when I went up to New York and to Boston and I was there, I was going, oh, it's not that cold anymore. Like the jacket was unzipped. It's 21 degrees. It's just a different kind of cold down here in Orlando. Um, to me, it's definitely more chilling and it seems to stay than the, the cold that's anywhere else. It's dry. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, no, it's all relative. I, I knew what I was getting myself into when I moved here. It's not like... Uh, the weather changed and I was like, wait, no one told me about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, so looking over here, what field of work have you not explored that you would like to? So I, I'm gonna answer that question in two ways. I don't think I've scratched the surface of how much I wanna do in footwear. So my answer would still be that, but that's a loophole answer and you deserve a separate industry. So I, I have always, allowed or, or not i don't know how to say this i've always wished i worked more in makeup and beauty and i'll tell you why um not because obviously i'm a consumer of it but because the consumers of it are so passionate about it in a way that is adjacent to footwear that i just feel that i could see myself enjoying the type of research and strategy that i do in that world the same way i do in footwear apparel or retail um and i've always been indirectly involved with those types of clients, but never full time. And I just find it so fascinating to see the way that plays out culturally across the internet as well. I think that's really interesting because women will, and I know this is true, <laughs> all of my friends and myself, we will spend money on makeup and skip lunch to have that. So it absolutely makes a difference. We will go buy a new pair of earrings and skip lunch to have yeah. And I bought shoes I didn't need tenfold. And I remember distinctively growing up, I wanted a pair of shoes and they were baseball shoes. And my dad was like, you do, you do not play baseball and I am not buying those shoes for you. And I was like, but I have to have them. And those were some of the first shoes that I ever bought when I moved to New York and made enough money to buy my own pair. Again, they're just like, I don't, they're just cool shoes. That's all they were to me. So, Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. So... You are a fan of podcasts. That's what uh, Isabella told me during your conversations together uh, a few times uh, in the past few weeks. So what podcast do you listen to and why? Yeah, so it's been an interesting uh, evolving consumption of podcasts where I don't know how to explain it, but what I've started to realize about myself and as, as far as where I want to go with marketing there's so many demographics and so many industries that I don't know about. And now that I can basically get free informational interviews with anyone in those, in, in those industries, I like to go find those types of podcasts. While he can be quite controversial in what comes out of his podcasts, Joe Rogan's interview skills are second to none. And what he brings out of his guests is really, really interesting insightful information around people that I've never been exposed to, never have related to or have related to and appreciate. So that's one podcast that has helped me like completely dive into subjects that I've been uncomfortable with or not been used to discussing and getting into an, a world where I understand how those individuals think or if it's something I completely am passionate and interested about that uh, I get to get the benefit of getting even more. 
Um, that also has led me to a lot of music podcasts. There's one called Song Exploder where they break down the entire song beat by beat, lyric by lyric from start to finish, almost in like a production sound engineer world. And then they play the song for you at the end. It's like six to 10 minutes long. But, you know, obviously I sometimes choose songs that I'm very interested in and it's really cool to hear, hear the origin story. But there's also songs that I recognize from artists that I heard of but never listened to because I may not think I like the music. So as someone who sometimes has to market themselves to demographics that are literally not me, it's important for me to understand that. And luckily through all this time that I've had uh, during the pandemic to, you know, re you know, go into these podcasts, I've learned a lot about subjects from experts that I technically should never be listening to because I don't know them and I don't have a connection with them and I don't know their network, but now they're just one click away. And then the final one is it's, you know, it's kind of led me into like modern day approach to philosophy. And there's one called Daily Stoic where you just like listen to like one to three minutes a day about philosophy, but in the approach of what it may have said back then thousands of years ago and how that applies today. And I don't consider myself a philosopher in any way, but it's just been a helpful way for me to think about things differently. So I will say that it's funny to hear that I just compared one that's two minutes long to one that's 10 minutes long. And then I've even found myself listening to some Joe Rogan podcasts that are four hours long. But, you know, there's still like, there's a multiple other podcasts that I didn't even reference. Like Second Life is one I really enjoy because it's, uh, it interviews women who have had basically multiple careers and walks the, you know, the, the uh, listener through all those types of careers that they've had and where they are now. So I think I'm just still at the very beginning and I'm still scratching the surface towards what's out there because I've only listened to, you know, three of these regularly and I know there's more out there. I'm just trying to ease into it. Yeah, for sure. Cause it's an entire culture of podcasts and each one you have to get into a different mindset and it changes your perspective in ways that are, are we're, we're still trying to get used to because yeah. you, you're listening to something for like four hours. I know. Yeah. yeah. I was just listening to a podcast interview with <laughs> Rob Zombie of all people. And I, <laughs> I know I wasn't a big fan of Rob Zombie's music growing up, but as a fan of science fiction and horror, like I love him as a director. And I thought I was listening to a podcast about his like editing, producing, directing, and, produ and uh, movie making skills. But it was like 45 minutes about his music and not going to say I'm going to go listen to his music now, but like, I understand it a little bit more. I have a little bit more respect for it than I thought I may have, which is a little bit uh, uh, not the nicest thing to say, but it just like it was heavy metal and it wasn't my cup of tea. I literally said cup of tea to describe Rob Zombie. So of course it's not for me. And, um, you know, I think it's just interesting. It's a great outlet to expose yourself to things. And I, as I talk to people in marketing and advertising, it's one of my new tips to say, well, I bet you your target consumer or your favorite individual that you want to network with has like done a podcast or listens to a podcast that is out there and just go listen to it and you can learn a little bit more. That is so true. I think that the, the world of podcasting, um, there's just about anything you can imagine out there on, on a podcast topic. And it's filling a, a space that was uh, taken by definitely radio um, where it's very structured. Then you have TV and everything, well, TV or just, you know, video streaming, whatever it is that people watch. Um, and that's definitely got its own fan base, but 
with podcasts, you can, you can totally control what it is that you're consuming because there's so much variety and you're not locked into what somebody else is saying here. This is what we're providing, whatever, you know, whether it's BBC or if it's, you know, a PBS or, you know, Turner Network, whatever you want to choose. Yeah. And I mean, as you can tell, all I've talked about are interview podcasts and there's so many other uh, episodic ones that are out there that have to do with true crime or, you know, insert, you know, adjective or noun here, you know, it exists. Yeah. And I think I'm only really scratching the surface, but I found what I like and it's, a, it's helping me with my current work. And I appreciate that because I literally get to get interviews, whether it's from people at the highest caliber or people who are literally my target demo and hearing from their point of view of what they're going through in a very raw way can have an impact on the work that I do. So let's talk about what it is that you're doing. Um, tell us about your work that you're doing and how it's using that creative muscle of yours. Yeah, so um, currently uh, doing a lot of freelance and consulting work across many different projects. Um, but mostly social, digital, and content-related strategy. But one of my favorite things to do is kind of use the internet as a vehicle for my strategy because whether it's an Instagram post where you can see what, well, let's just get back to shoes for a second. So here's an example. If you look at one picture of a Nike shoe that was hashtagged or tagged by, uh, it is a Nike shoe and it has a Nike logo, you can see what exact shoe it was what color it is, did a male or a female post it, where do they live, uh, how do they style this shot, and what are their other interests. And if you start to build those consumer sets at scale by what product line you're focused on or what theme you want to study more about or what location you wish you could get more insights around, uh, it's all there. You just kind of have to go know where to look for it. And I like starting there and rounding that out with any other insights that exist in this world, whether it's through podcast listening, through research done at scale, uh, through uh, population trends and demographics, and then gathering that up all together and start starting to create content. Um, that's why one of my first internships, which I told you about at Likeable Media, was about community management. And I just remember thinking, while I don't know if this is the job that I want forever, like these people are telling me focus group level research uh, without me paying for it or asking for it or manipulating it. And we can use that to, to drive anything we want to focus on. So right now, um, a lot of my projects involve doing that at a global scale, whether it's for consumption of content or driving new business or even pivoting during the pandemic. Uh, it's been a very interesting, uh, you know, variety of clients and projects that I'm working on and they've all, kind of converged into this moment where social media is more popular than ever and more of a business need than ever. So I'm very thankful for a lot of the projects that I'm working on, but in hindsight, I can just say that I'm proud of it, but in the moment it's all evolving. It's all being figured out, which is kind of how wrapping around the internet as a professional career can provide you uh, with a lack of stability sometimes, uh, but uh, from like a focus, but a complete sense of stability from a professional standpoint. Looking at that span of, a, of the genre that, of content that's out there in podcasts, I had just spoken with uh, PodFest. It was two weeks of nothing but podcasting. Um, over 300 podcasters were sharing their expertise. 
They had, they broke this record. It was a record to hit 5,000 people attending PodFest. It's the biggest global um, PodFest there was, and they hit it. And it was amazing to see that there was that much interest in it, I think. But there were topics, anything from sexuality, all the way to like what you were describing, horror, and then, you know, how to monetize your podcast, you know, from a business sense. Uh, but mindfulness, I mean, pick a topic. They were all out there and it was, it was really amazing. It was so well run. I could not believe what a great job it is. So I'm just giving a little shout out there for the PodFest group uh, so that they know that they were um, featured here. And there's also a lot of sponsors that stepped up to the plate there. So you might, if you were so inclined, since you like PodFest or pod, uh, podcast, Go and look at PodFest, Andrew, and check it out to see who those big sponsors are because it could be a way that you could um, share your love of podcasts with those particular vendors. And they were big. Yeah, no, and I mean, um, it's something that uh, I will definitely look into. It's very exciting to know that these sort of things exist and they're growing and they're growing at a pace that is record-breaking and that's really cool I appreciate you bringing that up and I'll definitely take a look at it so I'm gonna jump around to a different question here what is your favorite social channel and why which one do you most frequently use okay I most frequently use Instagram but my really? favorite form of research is Twitter um, I think visual research on Twitter sorry, verbal research on Twitter is very interesting. You can go into the search bar and type in whatever you're thinking and you can see if there is people talking about certain subjects. And while visually Instagram is beautiful and I enjoy it and I think it's a very easy to consume and awesome platform, when I want to share insights, uh, I like pulling from Twitter because what people say is very powerful and Twitter is very unfiltered for better or for worse. Um, but I would say as, a, as an actual user, Instagram is my favorite one. Hmm. I, I did not even think about doing a search on Twitter. Like as you said it, I'm going, heck, I'm gonna go do that right now and see what happens. And I see exactly what you mean, wow. Yeah, so we've, so for example, for food brands that I've worked for, you can go in there and let's just talk, let's say ice cream, type, type in eating ice cream into, um, the Twitter search bar, and you will most likely get in real time a stream of people talking about eating ice cream. And that will let you go in, that'll help you dive into what ice cream are they eating? How are they talking about it? What time is it when they're eating? What is making them eat ice cream? And then this can take you down a wormhole where eventually you can start to develop lanes and parameters for how you want to brainstorm ice, tea, ice cream for a new product launch or consumption of television or sports or politics. It's all there. The question is, uh, you know, how do you want to revisit it and look for it? And uh, the same thing can be done on Instagram with looking at hashtag ice cream. How do people photograph it? What is the most commonly uh, featured, you know, flavor on there? You know, whatever the topic or theme is, it's, it's, it's exciting to dive into the internet and see what, you know, people do. You know, that's true because I did eating ice cream on Twitter. Yeah. It global i mean i see every country represented here when i'm scrolling through it it's very popular in asian culture is what i'm seeing more as a trend as i'm just looking at it but i'm sitting here going wow i had not thought about that That's yeah and then you could also type in eating vanilla ice cream or eating chocolate chip 
or you know then you could reverse it and say why am i eating ice cream you know and eventually you'll like a google search yes but a google search uh for people's thoughts uh instead of trying to get you to buy something or consume something and uh there's nothing wrong with that by the way it's just how i approach the way of researching it on twitter it's fun and you present these at scale and decks and you can brainstorm about them and you know, you can find out what's the most common way people photograph ice cream. And then if you're going to be doing a big campaign about ice cream, which is very common for ice cream brands, it's great to know what the most engaging, you know, form of imagery is out there for ice cream consumers. I, I did not know that. Now, I was an English major. So if you want to talk about literature or anything like that or writing, I'm totally well, down. I say go right back to Twitter. You know, yeah. because your your expertise has been, for better or worse, completely overhauled into jargon and slang, and it's, yeah. it's an interesting form of English literature on Twitter for sure. Yeah, yeah, and Pop Tarts, everything <laughs> Sunday, and then Pop Tarts popped up. So I'm going, okay. yeah. I'm going to Welcome go to the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As everyone knows, our show is about internships and remembering someone that gave us a chance. So, Andrew, it's been so great talking to you. And you are a freelance strategist. So what do you predict that field is going to look like within five to ten years? That's a tough one. Um, but I can tell you what I think, at least what I think will be happening in the next year or so. And I think I want to definitely use this opportunity to talk about what I've noticed about a lot of the interns that I've been talking to, a lot of the new grads out of college that I've been talking to, is that they're all asking to be converged into social or virtual internships or virtual you know, onboarding onto their first job. And I've also spent the last four or five months working virtual jobs. And while I do think there will be people going back to the office in some capacity in the future, I do think there'll be a healthy balance of at home and in the office uh, work environments. And it's really important that, especially for interns and new grads, to understand that while you may not have the opportunity to like pop by your boss's office and say hello and learn more about something, you still have to be just as proactive from your laptop. Uh, setting up meetings, sending out emails, being active on Slack or, or, you know, Microsoft Teams or any form of messaging platforms you have because you're still expected to participate and provide value. And it's a very different form of that, that, you know, not everyone is used to even who are at the mid senior or director level roles like that I'm in. And a lot of the roles that I have been doing and a lot of the internship programs that I've participated in as a mentor, they're being asked to do things that director levels are being asked to do at a virtual level, you know, participate, provide value, speak, present, contribute. And um, I'd say putting yourself out there virtually is complicated, uh, but practice makes perfect. And it's really important that you find ways that you can do it comfortably. Um, so, if five years from now, I don't even know what that will look like because it, it may not even be expected for us to ever go into the office. Um, but I do know that now more than ever, getting comfortable with Zoom and getting comfortable with Google Docs, getting comfortable with emailing and LinkedIn messaging, whether it's a networking opportunity or professional opportunity, 
your words matter more than ever because face-to-face -face conversations are just at a minimum. Oh, I could not agree more. And it's really funny because I used to tell the schools, hey, we need to have uh, colleges and universities when I'm saying schools. We need to have remote internships. We need to be able to teach them distance because that's how people are working now. And the schools were very protective of that. Um, I think it's kind of like they were thinking that they wouldn't have a place in, in that, but yes, they still do. It's very important career services on campuses. Um, there's still people that like working through that method as well as just being understand how to work remotely. So schools are forced to do it now. So they know that they have to allow for remote internships. I think that's significant. Um, but you mentioned something in there just a few minutes ago where it was about, let me just reset here, um, not knowing how, it, what work would look like 10 years from now. I think as social creatures that we're not necessarily going to get away from this uh, desire to be together and have that face-to-face. -face. I think looking at Zoom is exhausting all day because you get all of this the screen, the light coming from the screen, and it's always, you're stationary, you get to move around when you're in an office. So I, I, I think offices will be a still a place where people will congregate. Um, I think that people will end up liking the balance between having some separation of work from home. So right. I, I don't think it's going to go away. I, I mean, I think that there's just going to be more balance in how we do it. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, kind of to get back to anyone who's doing a virtual inter internship right now, I remember about a year and a half ago, I had my first ever remote consulting role for a company in LA and I'm here in New York City. So we have a three hour time zone. I only know one of the 10 people I'm working with, but we're dealing with each other virtually. And I remember there was a light switch in my head where I just started sending out more emails with more insights and more recommendations, asking people who I would normally see in the quote unquote hallway to give me 30 minutes of their time to understand who they are, what they do and what they're working on. And if you navigate it digitally the same way you would in person, it's, it's actually easier. Um, because of the tools that are now provided us. That doesn't mean it's the only way we should do things, but for anyone who's in a remote virtual internship, ask you know whoever is your counterpart to reach out to other people at the company to see if they'd be interested in talking to you or LinkedIn message other people in the company or email other people in the company and just see if they'll talk to you. I know there's certain you know rules and parameters you have to follow, so don't follow that quite literally, but you know, putting yourself out there is 99% of the battle now. And the playing field has been evened. And I've noticed, at least for myself, from a standpoint of someone who's always networking and looking for more opportunities, that uh, there are more opportunities virtually than there were before. And everyone is new to it. And it's uncomfortable, but it's very powerful and it's rewarding. Uh, and you know, while you may be at home thinking like, why haven't I met anyone yet? Well, then get on a Zoom call with them or mm -hmm. ask your manager who you can get on a Zoom call with. And as long as you ask, you can at least better understand what's possible. And that's helped me with all of the roles that I have now, where of course there are certain things that I do and follow that are described in the contract that I've signed, but to really get the work done because I'm not sitting in a room with these people anymore, 
there's text, there's phone, there's, you know, other forms of communication that now exists that I am now expected to partake in to make sure the job is done as best as possible. So what is the best advice you've ever received that you want to pass on? Because I've, you've sent a couple of really amazing women to me. And one of the things that they've said is that your mentoring skills are off the chart. So just sharing that with you. I, I held back on that one until we got into the, into the show here. But they really appreciate the fact that you are genuinely interested in helping them make good choices. I think that that is honestly the best thing anybody can do because you're developing a relationship and I think that's what being part of a mentor is. What, do you, what is your advice that you've received or that you would like to pass on to our listeners? I haven't really been asked that question before, but as I try to articulate it in this moment, I do think the develop relationships thing is super important. So forever ago, when I was networking for a job, you know, if I didn't end the conversation, and this is when I was much younger, if I didn't end the conversation with like concrete next steps, like job to apply for or, in, or interview with the next person, I, I would sometimes be like, oh, maybe that call wasn't worth my time or was it successful or did I do something wrong? And now when I network, uh, I network to help others. I network to learn. I network to gain contacts and everything about employment and other project opportunities will, will come in that world but it will come at the pace that it would have come anyways. And it's important for me to develop relationships with people and, you know, network based off my interests, network based off, you know, uh, what I like, what I dislike, how I feel, what is right and what is wrong and who I am. And it's really hard to understand that when you're younger uh, because you're like, how do I get this internship? How do I get my first time job? How do I, how do I get my next job and how do I get my next job? Like that's all part of the plan anyways. But if you think about it, like in a, in a step-by-step -step world where you bring that to every conversation you have, you're probably missing out on a lot of other relationship building opportunities that would have gotten you a lot farther along the way. And it's really important just to, if you get the opportunity to speak with someone who you view as an authority in your space, uh, like get to know them and find a way to set a, a standard where you can reach out to them again and again, and you can text them and you can call them and you can email them. You can do practice interviews. I, I'd like to think that when, you know, some of the people I've sent you have come my way, I've looked at their resume. I've looked at how they've reached out to me. Most of the time it's through a platform where I put myself on for people to reach out to me. Um, I think, Isabella, when we were talking about this the other day, I kind of referred to it as scholarships. Like, you know, they exist, you, you may apply to them, you may not, but it's up to you what you do with them in the same way with networking mm -hmm. and all of these networking opportunities, like some that I'll give a shout out, like We Are Next and Indoor Recess. It's basically, you know, they call it like coffee at a distance. And, uh, you know, some of the people I've introduced you to reached out to me and they asked insightful questions. They had a great resume. And I was like, okay, like, welcome. You're, you're, you're under my wing. I'm here to help. My network is your network. And uh, what can I do to set you up for success? And I learn about that. And then because, you know, the internet is filled with connections and job opportunities and my own ways of reaching out to people, I, I do what I can to help them. And it's up to them to step up to the plate when the opportunity comes. But that took multiple conversations. 
And for, for anyone to think that uh, it took a 30 minute conversation, uh, you know, like I may have thought of in the past, it's just not a healthy way to think. And I think relationships, while I've gone on tangent here, is where I would focus your networking skills. You know, um, what I tell people is, and I'm, I'm repeating this a couple of several times on other shows, is I think every relationship is like dating, honestly. Because you're wanting to put your best self forward. You want to be helpful. You want to be able to, um, like you had mentioned earlier, be able to bring value. And I think that if everybody were to treat relationships like with that highest level of, of concern and, and care for the other person, we would have a totally different world. Um, but it is about developing that relationship and moving the relationship along so that it becomes a place that is comfortable and you feel like you can confide in a person and be able to share um, you know, a lot of experiences and past wisdom back and forth. So it starts in that, in that capacity, but shouldn't be concerned about if they are not for you, then you go on to that next person and that um, relationship that was there is, is served a purpose. Maybe it was for a day, maybe it was for a season, but you know, every relationship matters, whether it's work or friendship or family or you know, significant others that you look yeah. for. And I don't know if this is the right term for it, but it's just like, you know, value first networking or relationship yeah. first networking, you know, um, sometimes I'm talking to people and I know I can help them and they're like, well, you've helped me. What can I do for you? And I, exactly. I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but that's like kind of not the point. And, um, you know, if it's tit for tat or it's transactional, then yeah. sales, then, you know, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with sales, but it's just like, that's not the level of approach that I think will develop like long-term relationships like some of my toughest clients of all time are some of my some of my closest friends because i know they'll tell it like it is and i earned their yeah. respect and they earned my respect and i confide in them when i have questions about the industry and uh you know that took years to evolve uh and it's really important that people take that time and and while it seems like maybe that's a step away from mentoring, I, I don't feel that it really is. I feel that there's different levels of mentoring people um, where it's just truly telling people the truth, yeah. things that they may not want to hear, things they need to hear is always a part of that process. Um, and I've seen mentoring go both ways where it's older to younger and younger to older. And we shouldn't keep it uh, in a box where we think it's just one way, like from wisdom oh, down. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, indirectly what I'm learning about what it means to be a college grad or a rising senior or a rising junior and how they view the industries that I'm part of or how they view the content I consume is indirectly research and is indirectly gaining empathy, gaining context and, and learning more about everything going on. And, you know, even though I may quote unquote, mentor others, I am definitely being mentored by people as well. And right. um, I, I like to know that it's like kind of part of the pay it forward world, which is why I, I think when you get internships, you may not be able to look back on this in the moment, but in hindsight, there are all of these opportunities where 
at the very end, instead of being like, how can I get a recommendation letter only? It's how can I get a recommendation letter from someone I developed a relationship and then set a reminder three months to check in from them, check in on them and see how they're doing. Yep. 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 I could not agree more. Yeah. Um, Ian, do you want to jump into the mentoring conversation also? Uh, <laughs> well, um, Isabella is my supervisor for this internship. So I was just listening, you know, taking it all in, and I completely agree. You touched on it, Andrew, where you were talking about respect, and that's the only thing that I would add to it, to where like, you have to develop that respect and relationship, and you can't just do it overnight. It's going to be, you said years. So yeah, I completely agree. But in, yeah, in the moment when I was, you know, in, five years ago I did not know this <laughs> this yeah. is this is hindsight learning from <laughs> the finest hindsight and uh you know that I, I don't want to come off as some like you know wise mentor in the space it's all a product of learning on the fly and evolving with it which is why like some of the times when I get on the phone with some of the people I'm helping with these days I'm like yo we're gonna get on a zoom call and I'm going to grill you about questions you don't want to answer so that when you have an important interview in 30 minutes that you got all your kinks out that's not fun <laughs> you know you know like one of one of the people I work with now is just a, not only a mentor but as a friend um, I remember the first time I did something with her from a practice interview standpoint she was like very uncomfortable and then later that week she was just dominating interviews and doing a, such a fantastic job and that's the point I had people do that for me as well uh, when I was younger. So it's not that I'm making up this uh, curriculum by, you know, uh, making things up on the fly. It's, it's what people did for me and, and how it really helped me as well. Right. Yep. Agreed. Um, so here we are. We're at the end. How, how do people find you, Andrew? Yeah. So reach out I'm to hire you or whatever. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's one of my new favorite platforms. It was second right under Instagram when I was going to talk about one of my favorite platforms. Um, definitely reach out to me there. Message me there, Andrew Weiss. Uh, I'm wearing a Jaguars hat in my profile picture. It's one of the ways I stand out, for better or for worse. And, um, you know, through that, you can message me. We can connect. I've had a, a lot of people reach out to me there who have, uh, you know, seen me in some of these other capacities that are professional endeavors or mentorship opportunities. And I respond accordingly. I definitely try to be, uh, you know, uh, available. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's been really great. I've really enjoyed getting the opportunity to look at, you know, look at who you are a bit deeper and be able to share that with our listeners. And since the show airs in New York, who knows what can happen. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And uh, I just appreciate the opportunity. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Thank you.